Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredericks, and I'm really glad you've joined today. I wanted to share a special podcast. Recently, I had the privilege of speaking to all of the city employees of an entire city over the course of six different sessions, the entire police force, fire department, everybody that works for the city, any employee that works for the city. I had the privilege of sharing some hope, helping break the stigma and helping encourage them to be relational and to choose to see the best in people even amidst seeing the problems that they see all of the time. I recorded one of the sessions and wanted to post it here for you guys to listen to to hopefully draw some hope from yourself. So enjoy. Also, feel free to jump over to the website at www.recoveringreality.com. Sign up for the email list. Check out the blog. Lots of free videos and content for you to to help you guys walk out the healthiest and most powerful recovery possible. Enjoy the podcast, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Jody. Uh Good morning. How's how's everybody doing? Three people. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, this this shirt is me trying to will the sun in. If you guys want to help, I'm from San Diego, so I'm accustomed to the sun. But we do love Ohio. We've been here about a year now, and um, we do love Ohio. It's part of the reason we moved here is because of uh, the problem that exists here to come and participate in the solution. I'm going to share a little bit of my story and do what I can to hopefully encourage or maybe shift a little bit of the perspective towards addiction. Um, I count this as a great privilege to be here to be able to talk to a lot of you who are obviously I see some of you on the front lines, officers and um, looks like the fire department and I would assume waste and water and things of that nature, city employees. So I'm a, I count it a privilege to be here because there, there, was, there was a day in my life where being in a room with one and more police officer, this definitely would not have been the circumstance and situation. Uh, you guys want to hear something cool? Even if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Two days ago, I was 10 years clean and sober. 10 years from uh, suicide and jails and overdoses and rehabs. And uh, now I have the privilege of actually going back into those places and they let me leave. <laughs> it's a new experience. So I do want to share a little bit of my story because one of the, the main points that I want to um, share with you today are... are understanding that there's a great deal of hope and no matter where someone's at or how far they've fallen there's an incredible story that can be told on the other side of it no matter how far gone they are and the other the other part to that is this is staying in staying in a place to the best that we can of being as relational and encouraging as we can to people that are struggling I think maybe sometimes that we think that, um, or it's possible that some think, that remaining in a place of relationship 
and understanding to the best we can and encouraging and bringing hope to someone that's struggling, maybe we think that that means you're condoning the behavior. And I would strongly disagree with that. Um, I, don't, I don't condone any of the behavior that I was doing or anybody that I work with. This is now all I do for a living. I have my own recovery coaching business and I speak and I have the privilege of doing stuff like this all the time. Me entering into a relationship with someone that I disagree with all their behavior is not me condoning it. It's me entering into the mess to bring a message and to bring hope into the midst of that message that you can come out of this. I was actually born and raised in a really good home. There was no addiction in my home. There was no drinking. There was no, there was no nothing. There was, there was drugs in the medicine cabinet prescribed by a doctor. Uh, I was a little unaware of their reality, but there was nothing in my home. I didn't really see it in my friends' homes either. I, I just wasn't around it growing up. That's not, that's not my story. And I, I emphasize that for a reason because I think that society, community, I, I think we're more and more understanding that addiction is not just, well, it's someone from that side of town. It's someone who has that much money or is that race or gender or it, from that family. I think we're more and more understanding. No, it could be anybody on any level at any time for any reason. And as Jody's gonna get into a lot of statistics and share a lot of awesome stuff um, that'll hopefully bring some clarity to specific stuff that's available in the workplace. But it's far more prevalent than we think. Um, and it's not, the, it's not the person begging money at the store that's trying to get their next fix. That's not the only place addic addiction exists. I, like I said, I grew up uh, in a good environment, good, good family, and I, I just wanted to fit in with the cool kids. So I started, I started smoking weed, um, which was the gateway, which it usually is. And that led me into a path I really, if I'm going to be honest, didn't, I, did, I just didn't know where I was going. At that time, it was just like, cool. Okay, so I had an understanding, like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. But if I would have known where it was really taking me, I definitely wouldn't have done it. But I had no idea to that, none whatsoever. It was, I started smoking weed, I started drinking, hanging out with the cool kids, this and that, you know, what I thought was cool. Immediately problems kicked in. Um, I have no problem telling the reality of my story and however anyone chooses to see it's on them because I know where I'm living now. But this, I, I like telling details of my story to let people know that it was bad. Okay, and then telling them, and now look where I live, because there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of transformation that can take place. My, the reality of my story was things like this. The first time I ever drove a car was 12 hours into a drinking binge after stealing alcohol all day from around the city at the age of 15. I got behind the wheel of a car. It was the first time I ever drove a car. And I ended up getting in a high-speed chase with the police at 15. I wasn't, I wasn't a bad kid. You'd be like, well, yeah, right, look what you did. Obviously, but I wasn't this kid from this problematic home who, like, that just, that wasn't my reality at all. I just got sucked into this place, didn't know where it was taking me, and had no idea where I was going and what I was doing most of the time. Does that mean my behavior was okay? No, not at all. I, I paid for it, and I rightfully should have. Does that mean that we should let people off who are committing crimes to this, that, and the other? No, send them to jail, because that's probably the best thing that's gonna happen to them, and that's one of the best things that happened to me. I was able to think and see things 
and it eventually was one of the best things that happened to me. But that's how I was living. It was, uh, it was another trip to jail. It was another treatment center. 21, I went to my first treatment center. I was out of there. I, I, I did okay, but I ended up just leaving early and uh, didn't deal with my issues. And it was within a short period of time. Thereafter, I totaled a car in a blackout. And those problems <clears throat> continued. I graduated high school. Still look back and wonder how I did, but I did uh, with a decent GPA even. I had, I could have gone and played college football, but that just wasn't, I couldn't get to my court dates. I don't know how I was gonna get to practice. Uh, I had decent jobs along the way. I ended up going to college and getting scholarship money for writing for the newspaper. I ended up making three music albums. I ended up <clears throat> drug, drinking and drugs can <clears throat> help people actually function better for a short period of time. And that's where there's this misconception that comes in because I would go to work high most of the time, rarely drunk because it's hard to hide. <laughs> you just, not going to work. Didn't work. But I was able to be inebriated on some level and go to work or participate in my stuff and do the things I needed to do. And it actually helped me for a little bit, if I'm going to be honest. But it, it quickly, the rug got pulled out. It was a house of cards. Quickly, the rug got pulled out and it wasn't working and it didn't work at all. And Jody will get into a little bit more, but I can share. It's, it's progressive. You know, I, I hear the stories now, okay? And I, I talk to people who are in their early 30s or 20s or whatever, and they tell me how they've been on drugs since they were 10 years old, and their parents gave it to them. I mean, how do you, how do you load all the blame on them? Are they responsible for their actions at a certain point? Absolutely. Should they pay for their, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. But how do you, how does a kid even have a chance when they're 10, 12, and their parents give them drugs? You know, is that the case every time? No, it's not at all, actually, because I also know a whole bunch of people who were born in really good homes. They went to high school, got a scholarship and went and have a fantastic career and job. And alcoholism didn't grab a hold of them until their late 20s. So this enigma, this strange beast of addiction sinks its teeth into people in different ways and at different times. And I'm not trying to understand all of that. My position with helping people is always to come in and say, how can I understand where you're at? Not condone what you're doing, but understand where you're at and how can I help? Because there is help available and there is a way out of this. The problems consisted so on and so forth. I could tell you a lot of stories and just say it was really bad. I watched over 30 of my friends die. That's and I was just as bad or worse than any of them. Right in front of my eyes, no, but suicide, addiction, car accidents, freak accidents, all sorts of crazy stuff. I stopped counting at 30, just, it's still happening. Um, I still hear about people that I was around or acquaintances or friends with on, on some level. It was at 26, 10 years ago, two days ago, and I was so defeated, I was so depressed and hopeless and, oh my gosh, it's such a miserable place. So now I've worked with, we'll just say it's safe to say, interacted with on a personal level for an extended period of time of working with them or 
gone and spoken somewhere in some form of relationship, be it a little bit or a lot. We'll say well over a thousand people who will just single in on heroin, opiate addiction itself, okay? And granted, my position, I'm most of the time talking to people who are at least entertaining the idea of change, okay? But I can say this honestly, of all the people I've talked to that are stuck in real addiction, okay? Which is, we'll just say over a thousand. I can honestly say that I remember two people, two of all those people who said, yeah, I don't really care, I just wanna keep getting high. I know the problems in my life. I know what's going on. I know it's terrible. I don't care. I want to get high. Every single other one of them was like, I hate this. I absolutely hate this reality. I wake up every day and all I can think about is getting the drugs. You're always going to get into it more, but it just totally warps your perspective. It just totally, you are like a walking zombie and all you can think about is getting your next high. Two people that I can remember. The rest of them, I could tell you story after story after story. And just because they said, I hate this, I don't want to do this anymore, doesn't mean they left there and went and did what they need to do to get clean and sober. But that's the reality they're living in. It's just misery. It's pure misery. You go from getting some form of high to that's all you need, that's all you need, that's all you need, and you're getting high, and you're getting high, and it's more, 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 and all of a sudden you're doing more than you can ever possibly imagine just to stay what they think is normal so you don't get sick. You're not even getting high anymore. You're just not getting sick, and you're, you're a zombie to it. You're a slave to it. Again, no, that's not me saying, so just cut them a break, guys. It's okay. No, no, they need to come to a place, I, and I did, and it was the best thing that happened to me, and you come to a place where you say, there's help. We understand there is a disease at work here. There is help, okay? There's a lot of help, but you need to understand also there's consequences for your actions. I, I'm all for that spot there. I worked at a treatment center for nine months, my first nine months working here. And inpatient treatment center, they're coming in from, now the stories are crazy. It was a bit more of a high-end treatment center and you get a strange mix of people. <laughs> you would get people who are right off the street and been living on the street and that reality. And you also get like, we'd get CEOs and people like that from Silicon Valley that would come in. So it was a strange mix, it really was. And like I said, I would talk to the people who said, you know, my uncle's the one that helped me put a needle in my arm for the first time when I was 12 years old. Now, how is it I can help that person unless I enter into understanding? Because if all I'm doing is just saying, just throwing accusation and why, why have you stopped? Look what you're doing, look what you, yeah, 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 they're ruining everything and they need to see that. I get that, but at the same time, did they even have a chance? Do you even have a chance? And then there's the people too who it didn't kick in until their 40s maybe. Alcoholism grabbed a hold of them. And I would, I've dedicated my life to this. This is what I'll be doing the rest of my life. And I'm always wanting to, I want to know what works, period. Period. That's what I'm after. What, what works? What gets them clean and sober and they stay clean and sober. And I feel like I'm zeroing in on it more and more. But one of the things that I've seen help that helped me the most and 
that I've seen work the best is, this, is an intentional and relational connection of going out of my way most of the time, out of my way, out of my convenient comfort zone, to intentionally step into their mess on whatever level it is, just a conversation or getting intimately involved in their life, whatever it is, to let them know, what can I do to help? Judgment-free? I'm not condoning your actions, but I'm not here to judge you either. What can, I, I understand. I understand what's going on. I could tell you a lot of stories, too, you know, if I'm talking to them. I could go down a long list, too. It's irrelevant right now. What can I do to help you get out of this space? I understand, and there's help, and there is resources available, especially in this day and age. The stigma is being broken more and more, although it still does exist. Chances are there is addiction problems in this room, and chances are the way I'm sharing this is probably challenging some of you in this room right now. I have a deep, deep respect and value for what some of you guys do in this room. You guys saved my life on more than one occasion, absolutely. And I didn't think that at the time. <laughs> I didn't like you at the time. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, you probably saved me from death on more than one occasion. Not probably, you did. Now I've had the privilege of working with police on some level and fire departments and doing these things. And I can't emphasize enough that most people in addiction caught in it, especially if they've been in it for a minute or longer, hate it. Absolutely hate it. They know it's a problem. Yes, their psyche is distorted, okay? But they hate it. They may even know the way out. Not because they've done it, but they've seen it. And, and I watched a friend who is just as bad or worse than me, I watched him get clean and sober. He got presented with the option, you're gonna go to prison. It's not okay to break into people's houses and steal their pain meds. It's not okay. Or you could go to drug court. He chose drug court, fumbled around a little bit even, went, spent a couple weekends in jail. But he did get clean and sober and has been for, I guess it would be longer than I have. So I guess it would be 11, 12 years. Um, has helped open treatment centers and helped countless people get clean and sober. But I watched, and he would always talk to me. When we would see each other, he would call, or, hey, what's going on, da 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 And he never judged me. He never did. He wasn't okay with my behavior, but he never judged me. And he would always ask me this question, how's it working for you? And it just, if I'm going to be honest, it pissed me off. It just really bothered me. But it got me thinking. And I would sit there, if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be real honest, I would sit there, I'm just like, look at this idiot. Like, oh, he's just, ooh, he's with God now, and his life, and da 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 da. As I'm sitting over here, my life is just like in quicksand, in a bottomless pit of hell. And his life is getting dramatically better. And I'm like, what an idiot. Look, he's good now. But him being as intentional as he could about relationship with me, what can I do to help? Hey, come to a meeting with me. Hey, sharing stories about his life. It was planting seeds in my mind all the time, all the time. Was I ready to hear it when he was saying it? I mean, yes and no. I knew it, but what I was doing wasn't working. I knew that for sure. But I wasn't maybe quite ready yet. Well, I wasn't because I didn't do it. But it always was in the back of my mind as I was drowning in my misery it was always in the back of my mind like well dude if he can i mean if, 
If he can do it, I know him. If he can do it, I definitely can do it. Absolutely. It was one of the things that drove me to getting help was watching the example in front of me and his being intentional in relationship to say, how can I, what can I do to help, man? You can do this. What can I do? Da, 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 da. You know, I tell people, you know, even so like you're in the workplace, okay? And you see someone that is struggling that you've known for a long time. And, you know, like I said, Jody's going to get into some more of this too. But you see someone, chances are they hate the way they're living. Okay, they, it's misery. I've been there. It's misery on the inside, misery. But they also don't know how to get out of it. Or they maybe have seen like, okay, AA or you know, therapy or whatever, but they don't have enough in them quite yet to take a step out of this place of shame and guilt and isolation to step into that. That's where we come in. We have the privilege of being the bridge. Hey, let me just help you, okay? So you might say, yeah, well, I don't know anything about addiction. It's not my thing. I've da 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 whatever. No, nobody's obligated. It's not, it's not your job to go save everybody. No, I, I get that. It's, it's not. It's not my job either, even though this is what I do. But I do believe every single one of us can at least be somebody that intentionally wants to help someone that's struggling. I tell people all the time, you know, and, and I'm sure it's, some of you are filtering it different because you've had family members. Maybe it's been you. Maybe it's been spouses, kids, loved ones. I bet if I asked in this room, you don't need to raise your hands, but I bet if I asked how many of you know someone that has overdosed, has died, is relapsing, is in jail, I bet we'd get at least 70% of the room to raise their hands, especially here in Ohio, I bet. So I know where I'm speaking because this, this in West Virginia is ground zero for this problem in America right now. I get that. But I just think the more that we can as a people, you know, it's, it's not the treatment center's responsibility to just do all the work and get it done. It's not the cops. It's not the EMS. It's not therapists. I believe the more that we can all say, I can participate in the solution. What can I do even if it's this much? How can I encourage? How can I just say, hey, I know what you're going through. Send a text, an email, talk to somebody, be a listening ear. And we position ourselves to be a bridge that helps people out of a space that the majority of them fully, are fully aware is a terrible place to live and don't want to be there. So if you guys can remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here in just a minute. And if any of you guys have any questions, which nobody ever does. <laughs> well, actually, people always do. They just come up after. But I'm going to at least stop a minute early if anyone has any questions, and I'll <clears throat> respond. Um, but if you remember anything, I would say just know there's hope. I could go down a long list right now of people who Narcan brought them back multiple times, which I'm for Narcan, but guess it's not the solution. It's not going to fix this problem. It's, I believe it helps, but it's not going to fix this problem. I can go to a long list of people who are in out of jails and rehabs and relapses and da 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 who are now amazing mothers and fathers with kids, all right, who are, own successful businesses and donate their time and money to, and don't even tell anyone what they do with that money, but donate it to charitable organizations, who are pastors of churches, who open rehabs, who spend all their time out there in the alleys and gutters and bars helping people into treatment centers now. And at one point, they were the one, maybe you guys arrested a half dozen times or showed up on the scene too, some of you. Does that mean everybody in that space is going to step into it? No, it doesn't because they have to take some responsibility and want to change, and I get that. 
but I want to constantly be someone that is, for lack of a better way to put it, harassing them with encouragement and saying, you can do this. How can we help? I can get you there. And the other thing with beside hope is the just doing anything that we can to be as relational as possible and encourage as much as we possibly can and choose to believe the good. Again, that doesn't mean everybody's going to want the help and everyone's going to change. But I believe if that was the posture of more of us, we would at least see some change. I, I, I believe actually if that was the posture of most people, we would see change to the point where it would show up as evidence in the statistics that are going on. I believe that because I see it every day with the people that I work with. So I want to emphasize again um, to all of you in this room, thank you for what you do. It is a big deal. And um, those of you that are on the front lines doing what you do, thank you for what you do because you probably don't get too many thank yous. But thank you. Um, and it's a privilege to be here this morning. I'm going to take just a minute here. If anyone does have any questions, feel free. If not, we'll be here afterwards too. But does anyone have any questions for me at all? They never do. Thank you, guys. <clears throat>